Welcome to a special edition of I Fucking Love This Record, which we're calling I Used to Love This Record. Tim Fernandez, who has been on seasons one, two, and three, will also be on season four, is going to be chiming in with a record that he used to fucking love and no longer does. Tim, what is the album in question for us today? The album is that grunge, quote unquote, classic, Pearl Jam's 10. Pearl Jam's 10. Wow. Okay. Uh, So uh, I have, I know you have some stuff ready for me, but I just would like to ask a couple of questions first. So the first question I have is, was, uh, was this an album that you were listening to in real time? So when it first came out, were you uh, an early convert? Absolutely. Although like most of the country, uh, I don't think I discovered it until almost a year after it was out because I think, uh, that's how it went for that album. I think they released that first single, which is probably Alive or Even Flow. And, and that's when MTV grabbed it. And that's when I, I and most people latched on, I think. Okay. So you were, you were a part of that, let's say, initial wave of uh, people who heard it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, now at the time, was this, would this have been an album that you would have done as I fucking love this record? Did you love the record initially? Oh, my, did I. <laughs> that's an understatement. I think I probably went through two or three copies on cassette. <laughs> and and we have instantly dated the show. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Nice. So now is this an album that you listen to obsessively and then kind of put on the shelf and forgot about? Is it something that, uh, why, why are we talking about it on this show? I guess is, is my question. Hmm. I would say that the timeline is that once I got hooked, I was pretty much uh, uh, bought into the whole Pearl Jam thing for up until after Vitology. So for three albums, I was right there with them and I was all about it. Um, And then uh, I don't know. um, I had a, a, I reached the age of reason, I guess. And, uh, (laughs) and, um, uh, uh, they no longer appeal to me. Sometimes there's a matter of, okay, you, you don't necessarily want to go forward with a band. It's like, okay, they have these three records. I like these three records. I don't necessarily like what they're doing now, but these three records still mean something to me. When did you realize 10 didn't hold up for you? Hmm. I would have to say it was probably the very late nineties. Um, when or early 2000s when kind of well i went through in the late 90s i i went backwards and and really investigated punk because punk had kind of passed me by it kind of hit much earlier than i was old enough to buy music at least the stuff i i eventually got into you know the early 80s late 70s punk Mm -hmm. um so i was kind of spending most of the late 90s going through that stuff probably not coincidentally because i moved to southern los angeles (laughs) Um, uh, and then when I, uh, and then kind of a lot of the uh, metal acts that I loved were having comebacks in the early two thousands, you know, Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax, you know, there were, so, so metal was kind of having a, a resurgence to an extent. Um, and that's kind of, I think what made me, those two phases kind of made me look back and realize, uh, yeah, Pearl Jam's just kind of a big turnoff now. It, the sensibility doesn't match with me anymore. 
And did you find that about a lot of their contemporaries as well? Do you feel the same that way? Do you feel the same way like with Soundgarden or Alice in Chains? Or did you oh, not like I, those bands to begin with? Or Oh, no, absolutely not. Alice in Chains and Soundgarden are easily two of my top favorite bands and, and, and probably in my top five, at the very least in my top 10. So it's not really the grunge genre, I would say, that's to blame. It's, it's, it's Eddie Vedder. It's all his fault. Okay. And the legion of in- imitators that followed, uh, do you think that has anything to do with it? Because it seems like I was talking to somebody else about this. Whatever it was that Pearl Jam did seemed to be the easiest to copy mm. because you don't, yep. I, you know, I don't hear a legion of Soundgarden soundalikes. I think because it's so difficult to sound like Chris Cornell because he had real pipes, you know, right. uh, he, there was a, a small handful of people who tried to sound like Nirvana. But even then, I think because they were so much the figureheads, you didn't want to, you know, you can't come for the king, you know? <laughs> right. So unless, you know, with the exception, what of maybe like silver chair and a few others that they really tried to cop that sound, whatever it was that Nirvana was doing was just different enough that people weren't able to, to replicate it as easily. Right. But I think you have, you know, a dozen bands that in some way or another copped at least a bit of Pearl Jam. Do you think that influences it at all? Or is that a coincidence? I would say it probably doesn't help, but it's definitely not a major contributor. Okay. Yeah. All right. And what about uh, uh, either Versus or Vitology? Do you still, do you feel the same way about them? Or is it really just something about 10 that uh, rubs you the wrong way? I would say Pearl Jam as a whole, I am turned <laughs> off to. <laughs> okay. Uh, but there's elements of verses in Vitology that I can stomach to this day a lot better than I can 10, anything on 10. I think 10 is kind of the epitome of everything that I don't like about Pearl Jam and one and, and, and 11 tracks consistently. Um, whereas there's moments in verses in Vitology that kind of deviate and they experiment a little and they, and you know, there's like you know a couple moments of some of some pseudo punk that come in, you know, that make it a bit more listenable than ten. I normally don't get too hung up on lyrics or vocals be, beyond kind of uh, style and cadence and attitude and stuff. But uh, in Vetter's case, his whole mumble singing incomprehensible thing annoys the shit out of me now. <laughs> uh, so I used to love how Pearl Jam, especially 10, was kind of a seemingly hard rocking uh, uh, music with this intense and poetic lyrics, I thought. Um, but over time, it kind of has just revealed itself to me to be watered down rock with some whiny ass poetry that's uh, kind of high school level that you'd find in an outcast diary ramblings. And I'm always annoyed by bands that act heavier than their music actually is, you know, that they kind of rock out a little bit too much versus how heavy the music is. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think Pearl Jam's a big offender of that. Now I realize that Pearl Jam is just kind of, especially 10, is just pretentious as fuck. Vetter really thinks he's saying something profound. Uh, and uh, Dylan, he ain't. Black is such an egregiously contrived ballad. And uh, Jeremy is just kind of overly schmaltzy. 
So thank you very much for that. And we're going to be talking to Mark Evers, and he is going to be talking about which album? Master of Puppets by Metallica. Master of Puppets by Metallica. So the the blueprint for thrash metal you no longer love. Yeah, you know, uh, when we started talking about maybe doing this and picking an album, um, I, I'm not sure what what made me pick this one other, thinking, other than thinking that there will be some maybe some controversy. It's a good thing this album is only eight tracks. Uh, you know, when I did pick it, I was being a little cavalier. Um, you know, and I knew it had been a long time since I'd listened to it all the way through. So years, probably, um, it's usually heralded as their best album or their breakthrough album. Um, and then since it's been given, uh, that much regard, I just felt it necessary that we take the piss out of it. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> when did you, when did, when did you love this record? What were your, your years of love? Probably, um, 86, 87, uh, into 88. Uh, and you know, until we were thinking about albums that we used to love, you know, had you, had you asked me just casually without me putting any thought into it, I've been like, Oh yeah, I love that album. Um, but as I was thinking about it, uh, and going back and trying to listen to some of the tracks and, and that sort of thing, I just, I don't know that it holds up for me the way some of their other stuff does. Okay. And so uh, you mentioned it had been a while since you had listened to it. Uh, when did you realize that you had fallen out of love with this record? Uh, within the, you know, like I said, the last couple of years, you know, every once in a while, I kind of do a, a random playlist on Spotify or I've got Sirius where they'll play, uh, you know, just random music where I'm not necessarily picking the tracks and something will pop up. Battery would come up, um, you know, or something like that. And I just be like, eh, just, just wasn't into it. Okay. Do you feel this way about all early Metallica or is it specifically this record? No, it's really it's really this record, and and again, I think part of it may be just the the public opinion and perception on the album. Kill 'em all. My my first exposure to Metallica, a friend of mine, his name was James Register. Um, as a sidebar, when we were talking about doing this, I uh, I tried to look him up on Facebook. Uh, no luck. I couldn't be bothered to go through all the James Registers out there. But um, he had given me a, a ninety minute blank tape. He had Kill 'em all on one side, uh, Ride the Lightning on the other. This was before Puppets came out, and I really loved those two albums. So when I knew that they had a new album coming out, I was really excited. Um, I remember picking it up at Camelot Music um, in the mall. I was just in that mall uh, when I was home back in December. It's kind of sad. Uh, there isn't a single uh, music store in there now, but I think it was released in March of 86. Um, I didn't buy it on the first day. I'm not entirely sure how long it had been out before I finally got it. Um, I hadn't heard anything on it before buying it, um, which was pretty standard back in the day. You know, obviously they didn't have any videos or radio play. I just bought music regularly, so probably wasn't out too long before I got it. Notable, I remember the day, I, I remember when I bought it, and I also bought a Live After Death uh, t-shirt, um, another album uh, that I love more than Master of Puppets. <laughs> Uh, what was your initial thoughts on Master of Puppets? So you'd, you'd heard the first two. Uh, you were looking forward to this one. Did you initially, I'm, I'm assuming because we're talking about albums that we used to love. So your your first thoughts, do you remember? Yeah, so uh, Battery opening up reminded me very much of like Fight Fire with Fire. So kind of they seemed to open the same way. The guitar was more thrashy. Uh, the rhythms were more thrashy. Um, you know, it's funny because you know, they get kind of credited as starting that whole, 
you know, thrash metal movement and everything else. And Metallica was certainly heavier than, you know, anybody else around at the time. But if you listen to the first two albums, that stuff's kind of, I mean, it's a quick tip, quicker tempo, but it's still kind of four, four basic rock. Uh, you know, the vocals are kind of a basic cadence and that sort of thing with the exception of like fight fire with fire on the first two albums. This album seemed like a whole album of Fight Fire with Fire, which was, again, not not one of my favorite tracks from uh, Ride the Lightning. So, again, the songs just seemed faster than the previous two, um, you know, kind of more of what would become known as thrash metal. And I just didn't like it as much as the first two records. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think I don't I don't want to say I don't know the right word spoil me is when somebody pointed out that essentially Master of Puppets is ride the lightning redone they both open up with acoustic guitar that goes into into a thrash the title track is the second track the last track is a um uh, instrumental and there's something there's like three it's like it's they just redid that record and beefed it up a little bit and maybe made it a little bit faster yeah it was kind of yeah it was it was basically they were following a formula with uh ride the lightning I think there again you had kind of the vim and vigor of being younger. This was the first album on a major release, right? This I believe so. Electra. Yeah. I think yeah, so. Yeah, so so again, obviously they got more money to produce it. Um I can't remember if the if they had the, I think they had the same producer as Ride the Lightning that uh Fleming yeah. Rasputin or something yeah. like that. I believe so, um, yeah. But uh yeah, again, those same number of songs, I think, I'm pretty sure. All the songs like track by track the ones on the previous album were just better. Ride the Lightning is my go-to. Now, I don't know if I can agree with you about Master of Puppets because I still think there's some great stuff on there, but I think it's a it's an interesting choice because it is it is so widely heralded and I still I still like Ride the Lightning better. Whereas I think uh the first album just because the the lyrics are just so uh well, you know, it's like they're writing like metal militia kind of right. thing, you know, where it's a, it's a, it's a little Demons more and dungeons and dragons and bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas I think they, they stepped up their songwriting on those next two. Are there any tracks that still hold up for you? Probably sanitarium, uh, was, you know, my favorite track. And still to this day, I thought James vocals really started to, they, his vocals really did start to mature on this record. And, and that was really a standout track. I don't think at the time it was as well known how weak of a drummer, um Lars was but listening back to this album I mean he kind of sucks uh so he really he really he really does and you know we were talking when we were talking about uh Motley Crue and in one of the other episodes um how Vince Neil brought the band down um Lars you know you take the business mind out of it which again I think is certainly a component of why they are as big as they are because of his personality but just from a, a music standpoint and a musicianship standpoint He's not very good. And, you know, there were so many other monster drummers from other bands that were kind of their peers that, man, they would have been, I think they would have had a much bigger, heavier sound. Probably wouldn't have turned out as well for them. Um, But I was watching, uh, I was kind of surfing videos on YouTube the other day and came across a video of Charlie Benante um, playing in their their tuning room. Because, you know, whenever they tour, I guess they set up a room backstage where they just got instruments and they go back there and kind of warm up and that sort of thing. Charlie Benante's back there playing with them and man, they sounded awesome because he's a monster drummer. Um, and it just really highlighted Lars. Like if you, if you hear any of their, you know, like hear them recently live, 
you know, the songs are way sped up, but not in a, not because he's just not, not in a proficient way. They're just faster. He doesn't use a ride symbol at all anymore. He's just got a China there. Um, you know, lots of times he, you know, they play in the round a lot. So like he gets up and walks away and yeah, the drumming I think was the weak point of this album. Uh, this being the last cliff album. And there was a, you know, obviously I think the bass playing really stands out, especially when you compare it to injustice, which again, they kind of, you know, that's a whole separate topic of what they did with that album and the bass tracks and everything else. Yeah, say, back to your initial question, Sanitarium, I think, is still probably the only good song left on this album. The rest of it's just mediocre B-side shit. Do you have a, a particular least favorite? Oh, particular least favorite? Probably Damage Inc., Damage Incorporated. Because uh, as, as much as I, I still like that record, but um, the thing that should not be doesn't hold up for me. And I, I remember reading somewhere like that's James's favorite song, I think, or at least at one point it was. Yeah. And it's, that was something I thought was kind of cool at first, but I, that song doesn't hold up for me at all. Actually, I got I'm pulling up the track listing now. Cause I can't even think of all the songs that are on there. It, that's how forgettable this album is. Yeah, there's, uh, and there's only like eight of them. Come on, man. Of course. So, uh, you know, I really liked, I really liked Orion actually, you know, the, the instrumental was okay. Yeah. Um, it's got a pretty cool riff. I think they were, they were trying to be more adult with the, the lyrical stuff in here, like the war, like disposable heroes and kind of, you know, and, and obviously the drug addiction thing with master of puppets, master of puppets compared to ride the lightning, like the music felt kind of disjointed. There were multiple, you know, like, uh, on Ride the Lightning, like they kind of had a riff that went all the way through it. Like Master of Puppets, it seemed like it was like two or three different songs where they could have literally just taken that that part of it and made that a song. So um, just a lot a lot of the music, this was the first album that felt really disjointed with some of the songs, with some of the weird time changes and things like that that weren't so prevalent on the first two albums. Thank you very much for participating. And I used to love this record, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Welcome to the show, Eric Schmidt. Eric what album are we going to be talking about today? We're going to be talking about Creed, My Own Prison. Uh, they're actually a, a Florida band, and this album came out in the late 90s. Tell me, you used to love it. When, let's say roughly, were the years that you loved this record? I loved this record in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was largely due to, I guess, two main factors. One in my opinion, Creed is what Creed and Days of the New were the two main bands that sort of ended the grunge era. I, I know some people can argue that they're an extension of grunge, but growing up when I did, grunge is what killed hair metal, which was my favorite scene. So I felt a loyalty to the bands that I considered the <laughs> the enders of the grunge <laughs> to that to that extent. But I did enjoy Creed. I liked I liked Scott Stepp's voice. I liked their songs. What really sold me on them, though, and you'll remember this from living in Florida in that era, they used to play livestock, and they were to me they were a great live band. They were they really put on a good show. They were a sober band. They didn't act silly, and they were just really strong. And that that's what sold me on them. So I, I'm gonna get that and just an ex almost suffocating amount of radio airplay <laughs> so I, I don't think i had anything else to listen to but I, I really did like it it wasn't 
I, I I don't think if you would have crushed me with Wham, I would have I would have fallen for them. But I, I did like them. It, it just had a good sound, and it, it to me it was sort of a resurrection of rock and roll after the the depressing. I hate everything in my life, no matter how successful I am. Grunge era. And so you were listening. I'm assuming that you got this album when it first came out. That you mm-hmm. listened to it for a while at that point. Now, is this something that you? Uh, listen to a lot and then put on the shelf is this something that you continue to listen to and then yeah so what made you fall out of love with this album you put it perfectly succinctly i i listened to it for a while and put it on the shelf and it just didn't hold up i went back to listen to it i'm not sure exactly what pulled me away from it. It, it corresponding with my age i think i probably stopped listening to music that was coming coming out in that era started backtracking at that era i was going back to 70s era music cheap trick earlier black sabbath i was just sort of finding roots thin lizzy even sort of roots to hair metal and just really just from that era i always liked that era of the 70s and there was nothing else appealing to me and then when i'd hear an interview with creed or i'd see a a behind the music on vh1 i'd start listening like this music just doesn't it doesn't hold up it wasn't a. It's not like I considered them to be bad songs, or bad musicians, or a bad singer. It just, it didn't have the same appeal to me any long, any longer. It wasn't, oh, good, grunge is over. This band's taken over. It was just kind of like, eh, you know, they served a purpose. And that's that's basically the best I can describe it. When was the last time you listened to that album all the way through? Christ, I. <laughs> It's been going back a while. I would probably guess 2000. So it had a short shelf life for me, relatively speaking, given that okay. I'm a senior citizen almost at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that uh, fun little anecdotes. And that was, I used to fucking love this record.